Thank you, Katie. It takes a lot of doing to get her up here to, uh, <laughs> to share. I said, you can do the whole, uh, whole welcome, sweetheart. She said, uh, no, no. I'm glad we have such a healthy relationship that she can just say no and, yeah, just say no, no, no. How are you folks today? Good? Good. Did you have a good week? Even if you didn't have a good week, you got here. So whatever kind of week it is, it's going to get a little better. So back to school this week. Who was excited about that? The parents. Yep, the parents are excited about back to school. We do have some teachers who are part of our church family. And uh, we, of course, have some kids who are part of our church family. They're maybe a little less excited. I mean, hey, it's, it's good. We're so blessed to have some good teachers in our area who, who really, really love kids. And, and uh, all the kids that I've talked to this week, I get a real mixed bag. Um, you know, hey, how was the first week of school? And some are like, yeah, it was great. I saw my friends. And I was like, oh, no, it was terrible. And then, then this morning, I asked uh, Julie, and she said, hey, it was mid. It was mid, kind of mid. That's just the way, I don't know, that's, that's the way kids talk today, these days. It's mid. Alexis kills me. I love that kid so much. Uh, you could, like, buy her a new car. She'd be like, ah, it's mid. It's mid. If it was a truck, she'd say, ah, it's not too bad. That's, I just love her that. So I do have a story to tell you that comes from first day of school. First day of school, imagine yourself in a just viewing viewing like a, an omniscient uh, viewer into a classroom it's a beautiful sunlit classroom and there's colorful pieces of artwork all over the walls and there are 18 first graders sitting at little tables and they're they're dipping these little paint brushes in these little trays of paint and they're smearing it across the page and one of those um, one of those kids is named Emily. This is Emily's first time in art class. She just started school, start, transferred from another school, and they didn't do art in kindergarten in that other school. So she's there, and the, the teacher's up front sitting at her desk, and, and she's painting as well. And the kids are looking up at this photograph hanging on the whiteboard of an animal with a, a cute little face, a small pink nose, gray stripes, whiskers, and a long tail. And the kids are looking up at the whiteboard and looking down at their page and they're smearing paint on the page and the teacher's at the desk. She's not looking at the picture. She's just painting. So Emily, it's her first time using watercolors and she starts to figure out watercolors are, are a little difficult. Uh, they are for me. I'm not, I'm not a watercolor artist. I have some in my family who are really good at watercolors. And so she's having a little bit of a hard time painting this animal. Uh, her, her page is far too wet. And she's trying to keep it under control. And she gets the pink and she tries to dab the pink on for the little nose. And, and it just kind of runs in with the gray. And she's a little discouraged, but she keeps on going. The, the whiskers, they're a little difficult too to get a nice thin line with that watercolor brush. But she hangs in there. Uh, the picture doesn't, her, her painting doesn't look too much like the photograph. But, but she feels good about it. It's her first time painting with watercolors and and she's looking at it and she thinks, hey, that's, that's good. This is, this is fun. So the, the teacher, it's near the end of the class, and the teacher uh, begins to walk around and look at artwork that the children are producing. And, and she sees some of them. She stops and says, oh, that looks great. Or 
stops and says, well, you should have done a little something different here. But the teacher gets to Emily's desk and looks down at Emily's painting and her, her smile turns to a frown. And her nose wrinkles up and she says, Emily, what, what is this? You, you're not using the technique I taught the class. This doesn't look right at all. And the teacher walks away from Emily's desk and she goes to her own desk and she picks up her painting and puts it on the whiteboard next to the photograph of the cat they're all supposed to be painting. And even though the, her painting doesn't look all that much like this particular cat, she says, this is what the painting is supposed to look like, not like that. And she walks over to Emily's desk, picks up the painting and throws it in the trash. Now, some of y'all are ready to fight that art teacher, but let me tell you, yeah, my mama's like about to roll up and say, you wouldn't do that to, I don't even know Emily, but I, uh. let me tell you this. I don't think there's a teacher who would do that. That is completely fictional. Um, my old art teacher sometimes attends these services, and I kind of wondered if she would be here today because she might be here to fight me. She'd say, no art teacher would ever do that, and that's true. An art teacher would never do that to a child just learning how to paint. Now, maybe if you're like in like, uh, graduate school for painting, you might have a professor that would be tough on you in art, but for a little kid, you don't do that. Why? Because you don't want to discourage them because Emily was so discouraged, she just decided she'd never paint again. Luckily, that's all a fictional story. Because a good teacher would never do that. A good teacher would not discourage a child who's just learning. A good teacher would be a stepping stone, not a stumbling stone to someone who is learning. A good teacher chooses to be the reason a child wants to learn and wants to grow. And never the reason they're discouraged and give up. I realize you might have had some different experience somewhere along the way with a teacher, but that's not what a good teacher should do. A good teacher helps a learner step up, not stumble. As you live your life, you get the choice to be a stumbling stone or a stepping stone. To influence people, to be the kind of person who helps others step up to a new level, or the kind of person who makes people trip up. Now, that's especially true if you identify as a Christian. If you say you are a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, then you have a responsibility because you have more influence than you realize on people's spiritual journey. You can be the reason people keep pursuing God or you could be the reason people get discouraged with faith or discouraged with church, or derailed in their walk with Christ. You could be the reason somebody steps up, or the reason somebody stumbles. And Jesus sets the example and teaches us to be a stepping stone, not a stumbling stone. So we're in the, the end of Mark chapter 9, and we're seeing a side of Jesus here that most people kind of miss. People can get the idea that Jesus is very, I mean, there's songs that say he's like meek and mild and Oh, Jesus is just a big old softy and, and uh, there's nothing tough or manly about him. But please understand, Jesus spent most of his life as a carpenter doing heavy manual labor. Don't want to break your heart or anything, but Jesus could probably beat you at arm wrestling. He probably could. 
because, not because he's God in human flesh, but because he spent the bulk of his life in a carpenter's shop working with his adoptive father, Jacob, and then uh, Joseph, rather, and then working on his own. Jesus was a strong guy. He had to be to do what he did. Understand that Jesus is not a pushover. He is very tender with those who are brokenhearted. He's very gentle on those who need gentleness. But he was also known to braid a whip out of cords and chase people out of a temple when they were doing the wrong thing and and to knock over some money tables of the crooks. And uh, kids these days would... Uh, the crooks, don't take, don't take that personally, Duncan. Not, not, not Duncan Crook. Uh, which kind of crook are you, Duncan? I, I thought it was like shepherd's crook. Not, okay. So um, we have a few crooks in the audience today. But, uh, you know, Jesus was, you know, he, he was not a pushover. And uh, my kids, like kids these days, I'm not doing a good job of keeping up with like the the, the lingo of kids, I try. And I try very hard actually to stay three or four years out of date because it annoys my kids more. You understand? What is much more fun than using the current slang is using slightly out of date slang. I think this one's still current. I think kids these days would, would hear stories about Jesus and like, whoa, he's savage. Is that still a current term? Savage, no? <laughs> savage? So what you're telling me is, um, was I right? Was I completely wrong? Okay, I used it in the right context, but it's three or four years out of date. Yes! Boom, consistency. So they would say Jesus, the kids three or four years ago, would say Jesus is a savage. Now, if, you, if that sounds like, why would you call Jesus a savage? Please understand that this is, this is how kids talk these days. That uh, we, do see, we do see a very... Woo, we see a kind of a blunt side of Jesus in there. So I want to prepare you, if you have this really like soft image of Jesus in your mind, the guy with like the flowing hair and he's for some reason always carrying a lamb for no particular reason, even though we don't have any indication that that happened. You know, the guy with the perfect sparkling white robe and all that. I just want you to understand, you're about to see the savage side of Jesus here. In this verse we're going to cover and in the ones that we'll cover the next time we're in the book of Mark. So Mark 9.42 goes like this. It's heavy. This is a little bit savage. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to understand what Jesus means here. And I pray that, that we will be the kind of people who won't make others stumble, but will help them step up. In Jesus' name, amen. If you make somebody stumble, it would be better for you to have a millstone tied to your neck and thrown into the sea. That's kind of savage, as the kids would say. Jesus says it's better to be horribly drowned than to cause a little one to stumble. We better figure out what this means. I mean if he takes it that seriously we need to understand it's got a lot of layers here this phrase little ones that can mean a child it's just the greek word for little but it can mean in context a child and there's 
there was at least one child in the room. If you kind of look back in Mark chapter 9, he uses, there's a child who was in the room and he said, you know, this, he uses this child as an illustration. So there were, there was at least one child, if not several children in the room while this was being discussed. Um, and, uh, of course, uh, it can also mean someone not who is not necessarily a literal child, but it can mean in this context, someone who is young or inexperienced in their faith, a new believer or a, a someone who hasn't been a believer all that long, someone who would be inexperienced or impressionable or someone who is vulnerable to being discouraged like a, a child would be. Jesus said we must be careful not to cause one of these little ones to stumble, whether that be a, a literal child or someone who is new in their faith or young or, or hasn't grown in their faith. We should not cause them to stumble. This idea of stumbling means to trip somebody up, to put something or leave something in the path of a person and they trip over it. Some translations say offended. Be careful not to offend one of these little ones. And it's the same words, just translated a little different. It comes from the idea of when you trip over something, it's that frustration, that offense. Like, why did someone leave this here? When, or why? Um, when you go in your kid's bedroom, you're tripping over stuff. And, and uh, oh, man, it's, it's tough. Or in my workshop, who left this mess for me to trip over? Oh, wait, it was me. And I get offended that I left a mess in my workshop and now I'm tripping over it. So that's where we have it. It comes from that frustration. Um, it can also mean to discourage or confuse or mislead a person. In other words, to to trip them up in their faith, to cause them to stumble in their faith. And it can especially mean to trip somebody up so that uh, they stumble into behavior that is destructive and sinful to kind of to be a bad influence we would say be a bad influence or or discourage someone to the point that they're they're tripping up into sinful behavior jesus says it would be better to have a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown in the sea than to cause somebody to trip up like this that doesn't sound like a very jesusy thing to say does it not in sort of the popular understanding of jesus as kind of a hippie guy who walked around being real chill all the time he there's no chill in this this is a little savage what's a millstone anyway i think i got a picture here janiah this is a millstone basically it is a big rock that looks like a wheel they were used in a couple of different ways some of them rolled around on the edge like this others were mounted in a mill where where um, one wheel was kind of stacked on the other and they would one would turn and the other would be stationary they were so big and so heavy they had to be pulled by a donkey in a circle you couldn't you couldn't push them by hand they would have been a millstone would have been the the heaviest object that the disciples were familiar with on a regular basis i don't know what we would have as a as a kind of a parallel i mean if you grew up watching looney tunes it'd be like an anvil okay i don't know i don't know what it would be for kids who are too young to watch looney tunes i mean it's a big heavy thing what what's this deal with tying a millstone to somebody 
Well, the Romans actually did that. This was not Jesus making up an illustration. The Romans, there are records of the Romans who ruled over the area at the time taking uh, rebels, insurrectionists, tying a millstone to their necks and throwing them into the sea. This was a real thing that was happening to people at the time so the disciples would be familiar. They would not need Jesus to explain it. They would know that this is one of the ways that the Romans kill people that they don't like. And it must have made their skin crawl. It had to have. So why is Jesus saying to us that as awful as that death may be, that horrible idea of being drowned like this, if you, if you cause people to, struggle, to stumble, you're going to be in even worse trouble with God. That should stop and make us think. We have the choice to be a stumbling stone or a stepping stone, and the implications are serious. Now, the most obvious application here is, you know, if we're, we're considering the little ones to be children, we must not put a stumbling block in the way of children as they're trying to get to know God or trying to understand faith. Or uh, we, we must be very careful not to discourage or mislead kids when it comes to following Jesus. It's so important to talk to kids about spiritual truth. And, and I pray really hard. I pray all the time that I've hopefully shown my kids the truth and that um, they'll be ready to face the things that are out in this world. It's a tough, tough world. The world was tough when I grew up. It's a lot tougher now. I always hear people say that kids have it so easy these days. Well, kind of. Maybe they don't have to do as much labor in some cases in this country. I don't think kids have it easier these days when it comes to trying to make good choices and stay on the right path. It's a lot harder. So I, I pray for kids. Um, you know, the number one thing that parents and grandparents and grown-ups in general do that causes kids to stumble in their faith it isn't failing to have like daily devotions with them, although that's a good thing. It isn't failing to make them memorize all the books of the Bible. It's living inconsistently in front of them. It's claiming one set of values and then living out a very different set of values in practicality. That is difficult. That is tough. It is Sunday morning. Have you ever tried to get some kids out the door to church service on Sunday morning? That will test your Christianity. Now, I figured it out years ago. I've been the preacher for a long time, so I just left so early and left Katie to deal with the kids because she's so much more spiritual than me and such a better person than me and a lot of other things that I'll think of and say later. Um, so, yeah. There you go. But yeah, it's a, it's a test. It's hard. It is hard to live consistently in front of your kids. I wish, I wish I could say that I've gotten that right all the time, but I haven't. And yet, it's, it's so hard to think about that because one of the most spiritually detrimental things that we can do to a child or a person who's young in their faith is to preach one thing and practice another.
Because kids spot hypocrisy really easily. They're much better than adults. I heard a good line this week. This is great. I think there's some truth to it. That parents are really good at spotting fake friends. And kids are really good at spotting fake adults. Kids are really good at that. They're, they're better than grown-ups. It's important to teach kids about God. It's important to have them involved in church. If you're able to do devotions, absolutely do devotions, do daily prayers, do all of those things. You know, teach them to memorize Scripture, do all of that. But understand that you can do all of those things and then undo it by not living it yourself. I have a friend. Uh, we'll, call him, we'll call him Thomas. When he was in his 20s, Thomas came to the Lord and got saved. He, he believed in Jesus. He got saved. It was a big deal. And he was so excited about this new life in Christ. And he was just getting started and things were going really well. And then he lost his job. He lost his job. He had no money. He couldn't, he couldn't give like he wanted to give. This was back in the old school days of the pledge cards and the giving envelopes. Y'all remember those old school days? Pledge cards and envelopes and all of that. And, and uh, you know, people tried to keep their pledge, and, but Thomas could not. He simply did not have it. He could not, he could not keep his weekly pledge of a tithe. And, and he had some church leaders show up at his house, and he was expecting expecting some compassion and understanding and mercy and maybe some help but what he got was a chewing about how he wasn't paying his tithe and so they left and he took the little box of offering envelopes and he threw them down and he said if this is what being a christian is about i don't want anything to do with it and it was a long, long time before he was back connected with the faith community. And I'll tell you now, many years later, he is, he is involved and he's, you know, he's grown in his faith and a lot of things have happened, but that set him back. It was a damaging thing. Look, 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 look. Here was a younger believer who was made to stumble by church folks who probably felt they were well-meaning who probably felt they were doing the right thing, but they had their priorities wrong. And it set him back. People don't so often quit faith or quit church as they quit church people who lack gentleness and compassion and consistency. Consistency. That is a huge one. You've got to practice what you preach. The world loves to say that Christians are hypocrites. And as a Jesus guy, I get frustrated with that. And it would be a lot easier to just say, ah, that's just their excuse because they don't want to deal with spiritual truth. Except there's a little truth to the thing. You've, you've met some people, haven't you, who claim to follow Jesus, who show up at church services, who read the Bible, who can quote Scripture, but they, they don't really live it out especially in the way they interact with people. They're very harsh with people. And maybe they don't usually realize it. It's a weird thing. Hear this. Hypocrisy 
is very hard to spot in the mirror. It's almost impossible to look in the mirror and recognize hypocrisy. That goes for me, that goes for you, that goes for everybody. Because not very often will someone say, huh, you know, I really am a hypocrite. That's me, good old hypocritical me. It's hard to spot that in yourself. So we really have to do some deep soul searching to understand, are are we really practicing what we preach? Now, understand before you're like, well, gosh, I can't be perfect. Uh, Of course, I mean, if, if I can't live up to this perfection that Jesus taught, well, I guess I am a hypocrite. Well, understand, there's a difference between being a hypocrite and being flawed. Between being a hypocrite and being someone who's really humbly trying to live right and can't quite hit it. Okay, suppose there is an athlete who is trying to set a new record in the high jump. He's practicing every day and he's working hard and he's jumping and he's jumping. He's he's not reaching his goal. He's not jumping over that bar. That's such a fascinating thing. I got like an eight inch vertical maybe. And these guys are jumping like over, you know, six foot tall things and or maybe more. I have no idea what the world record is. And he's trying so hard and he never quite reaches it. He tries and he tries to hit this record and he fails. Would we call that man a hypocrite? No, it doesn't make sense to call him a hypocrite. He's a guy who's trying to hit a mark, and he's not reaching the mark. That's not hypocritical. That's just trying to do something and not quite reaching it. But what if the same guy gets a gold medal and puts it around his neck, and he struts around like he's made the jump? And he looks down on everyone else who hasn't reached the goal, even though he hasn't reached him himself. Would we call that man a hypocrite? Yes. The problem isn't trying to live a righteous life and falling short and getting up and trying again. The problem is pretending you're living up to an ideal and you're not. And we can't. Jesus set an example of perfection that we can't reach. We're supposed to be pursuing righteousness. We won't reach it. The difference between people is, you know, what makes a person a hypocrite and and not is whether they understand they're not reaching it. If you are looking for hypocrisy in Christians, you'll find it. Guarantee you'll find it. You'll you'll find church people who look down on others while while oblivious to their own flaws. You'll even find some people who are who really honestly pretty good people trying to follow the Lord who really mess up sometimes. Look, you will find some people who claim to be Christians but say sin is no big deal. You'll find people who would wear the name tag, I am a believer, who influence others to violate their conscience, who will say that no matter, it doesn't matter how you live your life, so long as you prayed the right prayer and you check the right religious boxes, then you can just do whatever you want. Praise God, our salvation does not depend on our ability to follow a set of rules because we couldn't. But if you belong to Jesus, you should be obeying Jesus. It just makes sense. You should be trying. But there there are some some really smart, educated people in this world who say, well, eh, as long as 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 you've been through the right hoops, then you're okay. You'll find people like that. You'll find people who influence others to trust in their own good deeds and their own religiosity. 
instead of the mercy and grace of Jesus. And, and you'll find people who influence folks to, to make sinful, destructive choices. You'll find that. You'll find people that make believers stumble. Does that frustrate you? Do people like that frustrate you? People who would be a stumbling block to someone who's really trying to follow God and now they're getting tripped up because somebody has put this obstacle in their way. Or somebody who is, man, I, I've seen it before and it's so frustrating where you got a new believer and they kind of get grabbed by somebody who's got some weird doctrine and they start influencing them with some, well, I call it what it is, false teaching, kind of some culty stuff. I've seen that happen and it's so frustrating. If people who cause others to stumble frustrate you, then don't be one of those people. That's the obvious thing to say. Don't be a stumbling stone. Don't be someone who trips up other people in their pursuit of faith. Don't be somebody's excuse for unbelief. That might be one of my greatest fears, okay? Being the kind of guy who somebody looks at my life and says, I don't think I want to, I don't think I want to follow Jesus. Not if a Jesus follower is like that. That's one of my biggest fears. I don't want that so badly. Yep, you're going to find some pretenders. You know some pretenders. But there's a lot of people who aren't pretenders. People who are trying to get it right, who are trying to follow God, who are genuinely trying, and they're humble about it, and they mess up, but they get up, and they try again, and they say, yep, yep, I blew it, but I'm going to do it again. Be that kind of person. People don't need an example of perfection. Jesus took care of that. People need an example of the humble pursuit of a life that honors God. That's the example that you can set. Will you do that? Will you, to the best of the ability that the Lord gives you through His Holy Spirit, try to set an example of pursuing God and, yeah, messing up, but getting up and trying again and being humble about it? Jesus got very serious with this stuff that causing a person to be discouraged or misguided or get tripped up in their spiritual journey or tripped up into sin is such a big deal that he gave this extreme warning that it would be better to have a millstone tied around your neck than and be thrown into the sea. That's heavy. Is it really that big of a deal well in the early days um in the early days of the jesus movement there was this period of time of extreme generosity people were selling everything and, and giving it to the cause and let me just be plain to say that is not an expectation that was an unusual thing that is not in the typical but it was being done at that time people were so pumped up about it and there was this couple who sold a piece of land. And they wanted to give their money. They kept part of the money, and which was fine. They could have kept all of it. It was their money. They could have done anything they wanted. But they, they said, hey, let's give it. Let's keep some of it. But let's, let's give the other. Perfectly. Wonderful. Great. So far. Except they told everybody they gave all of it. They only gave part of it, which was totally fine, but they told everyone they gave all of it. 
And then the Holy Spirit whispers to Simon Peter, said, ah, let, me, let me give you a little insight on what really happened. So Peter confronts him and say, did you really sell the land for this much and you gave all of it? And they said, uh, yeah, 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 we did. Do you know how that turned out for Ananias and Sapphira? It's in Acts chapter 5. You need to read that. Acts chapter 5. You need to read that sometime. That rather than allow their hypocrisy to become a stumbling stone to derail the faith of those new believers, all those new believers, God flipped the switch. They, their lives were cut short in a very dramatic way. You need to check that out in Acts chapter 5. You have more influence than you know. I, just, I do want to say this before I go any further. If you're sitting there and wondering, it's like, oh my goodness, I think I've been a bad influence to somebody. Whew. If you realize that, and you take that to God, we're not bringing out the millstones today. I died, brought no millstones with me. Okay, I, I got none. We passed some on the road. Me and Elijah went to a place yesterday. I was like, hey, look, that someone had like millstones set up on the side of the road. Carroll County is such a weird place to live. I love it. It's like, I'm preaching on millstones tomorrow. That's a millstone. He's like, oh, yeah, Dad, cool. It looks like a wheel off of a Flintstones car is what it looks like. Understand if you kind of realize now, oh my goodness, I've been a bad influence to somebody along the way. I think I've made them stumble. And I kind of had some of those realizations this week myself. Please understand, God is ready to, to help you make that right. He is ready to forgive you if you call upon his name. You might even get the opportunity to sort of correct some of the damage you might. Give it to the Lord. Give it to him. Please understand that you have such a powerful influence you you don't realize the influence that you have you have the influence the ability to influence the faith journey of other people if you're a believer you should be aware of that you should be conscious of that you should choose to be a stepping stone and not a stumbling stone so i don't always do this but i kind of have some some don'ts and do's here kind of to wrap this up some don'ts and do's don't be somebody's excuse for unbelief do set the example of a humble life that's pursuing god don't be the reason somebody's spiritual growth gets stunted do support and nurture those who are younger in the faith don't be the discouragement that derails a faith journey do be the reason that somebody decides there's got to be some truth to this jesus stuff because of what they see in your life. Don't influence anyone to trust their own morality or their own religion. Do set the example of trusting in Christ alone. Now, maybe you've spotted one of the struggles here with being this kind of a believer. It's that you're going to have to own up to your own shortcomings. You're going to have to, you will not be able to be so impressive. Because you're going to have to admit that you got flaws, you got shortcomings, you got struggles. But hear this: you might impress people with your strength, but you will connect with them through your weakness. Your influence is not in your strength; it's in your weakness. It's in your honesty. It's in your humility about pursuing a life that honors God. So this week, you will be put in a position 
to influence somebody's journey. What will you do? Now, most of the time we go into those situations and it takes us by surprise and we don't really do anything because like, oh, wait, I think I was supposed to. Oh, doggone it. They're gone now. Be aware. Understand this week you will have opportunities to help people make progress in their faith or to set them back. Which one will you do? Which one will you do? What is your influence? Stepping stone or stumbling stone? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you in Jesus' name. Please, Lord, make us aware of the influence and the effect that we can have on other people. Lord, don't let us be blind to it. Sometimes I think I've just bumbled my way through life not really considering. Lord, I, I pray that you'll help us to see these opportunities to influence people and to be a stepping stone for them moving closer to you and, and not a stumbling stone to discourage them or divert them or, or especially not to cause anyone to stumble into sin. Lord, we want to honor you and we want to help people. Lord, we give you the glory. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hey, I want to let you know something. Uh, a couple of Sundays from now, we're planning to have a baptism. Okay? If you have not been baptized and you, you are spiritually ready for that step, let's talk about it, okay? And we'll have a baptism service, Lord willing, a couple of Sundays from now on Sunday afternoon. All right? Well, that's it. That's the good news. God bless you guys. Thank you for being a part of this. Hope you have a wonderful, blessed, blessed week. We'll see you back next time.